Welcome back to the Mark Claire Show. My guest today is a documentary filmmaker who has worked on projects such as Q Sent Me, The Most Canceled Man in America, and the forthcoming J6, The True Timeline. Spicy, right? I'm very pleased to welcome to the show, Jason Rink. Jason, welcome back. Hey, good to be here. Love, love the video background, man. It's quite trippy. I yeah. feel like it's pulling me into your universe as we speak. It's just in case any of my guests are not already on mushrooms, I'm going to make them feel like they are. <laughs> That's pretty much the goal. Sweet. Uh, yeah, Jason, well, uh, my, my, my mushrooms won't kick in until like 90 minutes, which will be right when we get off of That's a great teaser for the smoke-filled room. You might catch catch Jason just starting to explore explore behind the veil. Uh, but Jason, this is a, well, you know, I, I could I consider three years an annual tradition. We tend to do a podcast around this time of year, which yeah. happens to coincide with when I'm usually in Austin, Texas, around this time of year where we tend to share drinks and tacos, which leads to us saying, hey, we should do a podcast about this. And here we are once again. Y- yes, yes, we are. So it's good to be here. And, uh, yeah, I, am. Um, uh, I, you can find me at, at the Jason rink on Twitter and I'm, I'm promoting that early because I was banned for 500 because the shrooms are going to kick in at some point and you yeah, know, you I'm going to forget <laughs> and I'm going to promote some other, other handle. Uh, but yeah, man, we've known each other for a little while. And I think I came on your show the last time I came on, I was talking about the Q shaman, I believe, or, uh, or else I was talking about my other doc, but yeah, I, uh, I'm a maker of docs that have gotten me canceled and um, have have won me some friends, but uh, also some enemies. But uh, yeah, so I've got a few projects in the pipeline, and and uh, and that's what I'm that's what I'm up to right now. So yeah, your life has certainly been a strange and interesting journey, especially with some of the characters you've crossed over with. Especially, I mean, last time you were on the show in the smoke filled room, you dove into uh, your airport, your ride from the airport with Kanye West to the Alex Jones. Even that yes. sentence is just kind of like what. <laughs> yes, and we are we are coming up. This is a this is an exclusive for your audience already. We're coming out with bangers. So it was almost a year ago. So December December first, I believe, was a year ago today that Kanye uh, broke the internet and shifted the Overton window on a series of topics. I think, and um, and uh, yeah, I drove. Next him thing you know, that. I'm doing shows about the Nazis. It's just like he yeah, opened it, the floodgates. It is, it is. So yeah, that was almost a year ago. So um, I, I think on on November 30th, I'm going to be uh, posting a 10 minute behind the scenes, never before released video uh, of that whole crazy journey of driving Kanye to the Alex Jones show, and then the behind the scenes, some things that went down in between the breaks. Um, so I'm going to post that in honor of the one year anniversary of that trip. But yes, that was the last time I came on here. We talked where, where about getting, gonna uh, find this? that's going to be on my Twitter you're at Jason Rink. Everybody. Yep, exactly. And, um, um, you're an honorable man. I would definitely charge for something like that. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> just, just rebuilding the following man, you know, Fair it's, enough. it's tough work. Uh, so yeah. So yeah, that was the last time I was on here. We talked about going to the waffle house, I believe. So, Indeed. uh, exactly. So yeah. Yeah. And, um, I know we originally talked about getting into some crazy stuff on Christian dispensationalism in Israel, uh, because that's what we talked about over drinks. And then I hit you up earlier and I was like, that's well, you know, thing, that's the kind of subjects that Jason and I right. discuss <laughs> over, over margaritas. Friends. I know exactly. <laughs> um, and I hit you up earlier and I said, well, you know, they're releasing some J six footage this week and, and we're coming up on some, uh, uh, releases of some new, uh, January six content that I've been working on. So I was like, well, let's talk about that. And let's talk about whatever the hell else we get into. But, uh, that's how we roll. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm here, man. Shoot. Let me know what you want to dive into. So I think we should go right into, cause you, you had already had done one documentary, uh, sort of surrounding the events to some extent surrounding one character, I guess, of the events of J six, that being Jake Angeli, the Q shaman. And, uh, we'll talk a little bit about him and update on his case. Cause he's been out now for a while. Uh, and, but this new documentary, what are we going to get in this new documentary now that we haven't seen or that we haven't heard either from your previous work or just out there that's been released in the mainstream? Yeah. So, you know, my, my film series, the Q sent me, we're getting ready to release the second episode of that. It was supposed to come out eons ago, but, uh, you know, telling stories in real time as they develop, sometimes those schedules get off. And so, um, the second episode of that's going to drop in December and that is sort of, you know, Jake's journey, um, after he got arrested through basically 
his release and we did a follow-up interview with him as well. And yeah, he was released in May. Um, and so he's doing great. You can find him on Twitter. He's got almost a hundred thousand followers and I think he's running for Congress, uh, in Arizona, or at least he's trying, he's filed the paperwork to do so. Um, so yeah, he's doing good. He's living his best life. And, and what's interesting, and this, this will sort of dovetail into the other project is, you know, when, when Jake was sentenced, he was, uh, I think only like the fourth person sentenced, uh, on a felony charge, um, when it happened, right. That happened in, uh, November of 2021. When that happened, he got one of the stiffest penalties that had been handed down 41 months. Um, I think it was the stiffest penalty and, you know, he went away for what ended up being about two years. Well, it's interesting because at the time it seemed like, wow, that was such a harsh penalty. Maybe he shouldn't have done that. Should he have taken his case to trial? Well, we have hindsight now and we can see what's happened the last two years. And, you know, Jake's free and they're still arresting people. People are just now getting sentenced and you've got people like the Oath Keepers and whatnot who, uh, the Proud Boys are getting sentenced to 10, 15 years, whatnot. So in hindsight, I think it's turned out that, that Jake probably made the right decision. He's got this all behind him now. And he, he's out in Arizona, you know, uh, I think he's, he's selling, he's selling, uh, merch and, uh, you know, doing speaking gigs and, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's back on the horse. So, uh, yeah, he's doing great. He's turning it into quite a brand. And especially when you think about what some people are going to jail for at this point, some people weren't even present. I mean, forget what happened there. That's one subject. Some people weren't even present there. Some people yeah. simply expressed uh, doubt about the election, and those people are getting huge sentences. So the fact that he was in there, fairly well known, uh, probably one of the most visually known people that were actually in there and is already out and released, whatever he did to get there, was I, can, I don't think you can argue it was the right move at this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've just seen... And, and really, it's been the difference between pleading and going to trial. And so, you know, the people who've gone to trial in D.C. have had the book thrown at them for the most part. And it's really it's really a huge injustice. And so, you know, in the background, as I've been working on this, this that project um, for the last year, I've been a producer on another project called J6, The True Timeline. And this is going to be released on Twitter um, in the lead up to January 6th, not quite sure on the date, but the way that this project came together is, you know, there's, there's bet there's lots of J six footage floating around out there. The, the government hasn't released much, you know, we've got a little, uh, we got a little bit of a release to like, uh, Tucker Carlson and some other reporters, you know? Um, and then we've gotten about, I think 12 hours of footage came out the other day when speaker Johnson said, I'm releasing the footage. So it's it's like 0.3% or something. It's like a minimal amount of actual J6 footage um, that's been released. And so the people still have not seen, not just the footage, because if if they just released a Dropbox link with all this footage, you would go through and you would find stuff that was like totally irrelevant. It's like empty hallways or just random things happening. But what, what people really haven't seen is what would it look like to take hundreds of camera angles that exist? This is, um, you know, body cam footage from the police. This is some of the capital footage that we've gotten and that's been released. This is a lot of crowdsourced footage as well. What if we put that into a big timeline in, in Premiere, you know, hundreds of angles throughout the day, synced it all up on time code mm. and told the story of how the events unfold as the day unfolded and from multiple perspectives around the Capitol. Because what people don't realize is that if you were on one side of the Capitol, it may have been totally peaceful. On the other side, there's like munitions being fired by the Capitol Police. Um, you know, people are being, being beaten. You know, on the other side, it's, it's not that way. And so people have only gotten bits and pieces of this story and we wanted to put out what we think will be the definitive timeline. And we're, we're trying to do this in a non-editorial way where it's like, this is what went down. And in the process of this, some explosive information has come out about who fired the first shot. Uh, we've got chatter from the body cams. We've got a lot, of, a lot of things that people haven't seen and they haven't seen in context. And so J6, The True Timeline is coming out uh, in the lead up to January 6th this year. Um, if, if we're successful in this, 
Um, you're going to see this spread far and wide when that happens. We're lining up a lot of influencers and people to help us get the word out on this. Um, but you will definitely find it at, at my Twitter account, the Jason Rink. Um, and, and we're really excited about it because this has been in the process for a while. And again, people have had bits and pieces and a lot of what people have seen has come in the way of pushing a narrative through the mainstream media or whatever it is. Um, and so we've tried to do a comprehensive job. We don't know anybody else who's, who's done this and we don't know anybody else who could because, uh, I believe that the team of people who are involved in this has the largest privately held archive of January 6th footage in existence right now. Now, is this footage, or is at least some of this footage, I know you had your own footage requested by the government, I believe, at one point. Is is there some overlap with that footage that we'll see in this documentary? Uh, potentially, there is a little bit of, of footage that has come from what we shot um, on the day of January 6th, but most of this has come from people submitting this footage to us or are the investigators on this project scouring the mountains of footage out there that have been released um, in various different ways. You know, um, everything from, uh, you know, maybe you've heard of the sedition hunters, you know, um, these are the people who have been out there helping the government try to throw people in jail over January 6th. Well, we've been able to actually get a hold of some of the footage archives from there. Um, we've been able to get a, a hold of body cam footage that hasn't been released to the public uh, as well. We've been able to get a hold of um, user submitted content. And, you know, we've also scoured archive.org. A lot of this footage exists in the ether. Um, it, it can be found. It's just the manpower that it takes to go through it and then make sense of what's happening and also identify people. That's the other challenge. That's really interesting. You know, one of the reasons, um, that when Tucker Carlson released the footage of what happened, you know, when he got his hands on it, the footage he released was about Jacob Chansley. And I've said to people, well, the reason is, is because Jacob Chansley is the Where's Waldo of January 6th. You can scrub a piece of footage and you can find him. He sticks out like a sore thumb. But just some other random person with a MAGA hat or a black hoodie or whatever, you know, good luck finding the moves of these particular individuals. Well, the team that is behind this project has, has the, some of the deepest knowledge of identifying these folks, finding them. And, and our goal isn't to put something out there that's going to get more people thrown in jail. Um, we don't think that's going to happen. Uh, in fact, what we think is going to happen as a result is people are going to really understand um, some of the, no, number one, it's going to highlight the four deaths that have been overlooked on the, on the day of January 6th, people like Roseanne Boylan, um, who, who died. And, uh, you know, you be, you'll be the judge of whether that was at the hands of, of the Capitol Police or due to disregard. Um, and then also um, other curious things that, that happened that day when it comes to how the Capitol Police handled the crowd uh, when they started shooting tear gas, uh, different people who were injured, uh, the way the breach went down. Um, we've got this laid out in a timeline so that people can understand uh, some of the key players and the key things that occurred. And again, trying to focus on some of the untold stories of January 6th. Speaking of untold stories, I mean, you mentioned there four deaths. As someone who, you know, I don't follow this stuff super in the weeds. I just kind of see what, what comes through the timeline and whatnot. I only thought there was one. You know, I, I hear about the Ashley Babbitt death all the time. I didn't even realize there were these other deaths. Are, I know, maybe that's because she was actually shot. Are, are the other deaths due to shootings or some other some other cause? It, it, it's, a, it's a number of different causes. And um, there's a really great article about this. Um, that uh, was put out by an organization called Stop Hate. You can go to stophate.com and and uh, um, uh, I, I already know they are full of hate. But. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're very hateful, quite hateful. Um, there's a there's a great article um, that you can find on that website that actually breaks down the different the different deaths. And um, I would be speaking uh, a little bit off the cuff and incorrectly um, if I uh, attempted to go through and describe um, who those were. And what happened to them off the cuff right now? But let's let's just say, or let's let me say that there were people who were either crushed, uh, were collapsed in the crowd, um, and whether or not medical aid was rendered, um, whether or not you know the story surrounding their death has been uh, sort of swept under the rug. You know, with Roseanne Boylan, she is a person who 
um, was, you know, died at the, at the front of one of those tunnels. Um, there is footage out there to show that she did receive, um, some strikes and beatings, uh, from some clubs and her death was ruled as an overdose, uh, death actually afterwards. But, um, you know, overdose of, uh, I, uh, I forget what the, I want to say that it was a, um, uh, they, that they said that Roseanne Boylan had died of a meth overdose. Wow. Um, but this is uh, very sus- suspicious and suspect um, in, in our opinion. So, uh, yeah, so Roseanne Boylan. I mean, is there some kind of autopsy that shows meth in her system? And that seems like a wild, a pretty wild thing to put out there. Yeah, I, the, the, the methamphetamine overdose is what was rumored that had caused her death. But we believe that we have footage to show that she was crushed essentially. And that's what caused her death. And also uh, I think methamphetamine can maybe be a number of things that is in somebody's system. Um, uh, you know, so that that's, that's a question, but what people don't often know is that even if she did have an accidental uh, meth intoxication overdose, right. Most people don't know that she was involved in, uh, a beating and was crushed at a moment in front of one of the tunnels that was not reported. Uh, the, the footage never came out about that. And so, you know, um, I don't want to turn this into like a, uh, uh, a George Floyd alternate, uh, you know, type, type discussion, but it's like, but um, we could, <laughs> we could, um, you know, but the, the idea is that we've only gotten half truths on many of these stories. We've not gotten full facts and we haven't seen the footage, right? So the footage not being available has what has allowed certain narratives to take root over the last three years, right? I mean, the truth of the matter is, is there are still people who believe that Brian Sicknick was killed. You know, he was one of the Capitol officers uh, because he was beaten with a fire extinguisher because that story went out, you know, within hours of his death or whatever it was. Well, it turned out that wasn't true at all. Like that's not what happened. And he died of a heart attack, you know, now people have, you know, and he died a day later, I believe. And so, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is some of these narratives have taken root in our culture and in the news and in the media. And now to, to, to go back and actually get new information and try to change the narrative well, it's, it's been out there for so long. And so I think this is also one of the reasons why the footage hasn't been released by the government. Um, and, and in fact, now, even the release that has had came out earlier this week, and a lot of people have been talking about it, I believe all of the footage that's been released, or the majority of it, is from 2.30 after, in the afternoon. <clears throat> they didn't release footage from earlier in the day. You know, the first breach happened at like 12.56, I believe. I think that's the Ray Epps uh, breach, you know? And so we've got an hour and a half of where the real meat of January 6th happened that we still haven't had that released. And I'm skeptical if it will ever get released. And so we're hoping that J6, the true timeline will be a window into what people haven't seen and, and escalate into further demands, uh, to get the re the release of the rest of the footage. You mentioned Ray Epps there. That's a name we hear a lot. Um, people believe him to be, many people, I guess, believe him to be a, a little glowy. Let's let's say that. Uh, is there anything in this footage, in this documentary of yours, that will shed some more light on that situation? Uh, yeah, I will tell you that Ray Epps uh, does show up in this. And, um, you know, a lot of people have seen um, the footage of him uh, the night before talking about, let's go into the Capitol um, some people have seen some of the footage from earlier in the morning um, when he was telling people to go towards the Capitol. That's where our true problems lie. A lot of people know that Ray Epps is one of the only people who's on video uh, saying to, quote, storm the Capitol, using that language. And that, that was just broken by uh, Laura Logan and the series that she's been putting out at a Twitter account called Truth and Media with Ben Swan where um, that phrase was used by Ray Epps and then that was used by the mainstream media. I was going to say, that is a, that's interesting he would use that phrase because that's that's the terminology of Yeah, the- and he uses it on January 5th, the evening of January 5th, where he runs into to Baked Alaska. He uses the phrase, storm the Capitol. And so 
people know a lot of that about Ray Epps, right? They know that, um, you know, he whispers into Ryan Samsel's ear. That's the name of the guy that he whispers into his ear right before they, you know, do that first breach. Many people have seen the, all of that footage. All looks very suspect. Um, he's, he's uh, you know, charged with a misdemeanor finally now. Uh, but, uh, you know, what a lot of people haven't seen is some of the activities of Ray Epps after that breach aren't aware that he's actually in other places near the Capitol and outside of the Capitol. Um, and there's, there's, a, there's uh, some evidence that he may have um, perjured himself. I got to be very careful about Ray Epps. He is a guy who loves lawsuits. Mm. Um, there is some evidence that Ray Epps may have perjured himself as to his whereabouts uh, during the day of, Cap of January 6th when he was um, interviewed by, uh, you know, the January 6th There are 6th some committee. who believe. I think that's always a good thing to say. There are some yes, who believe. Yes, <laughs> So anyway, we hope to shed a little bit more light on, on him uh, as well. And, uh, you know, so anyway, yeah, forthcoming. That's going to be coming out um, uh, before January 6th in the lead up to that. And uh, I would encourage people to, to check that out. And, you know, man, I look... I've been working on projects around January 6th. Now it's going on three years now. I know I'm freaking tired of the topic, to be honest with you. But at the same time, we can't get tired of it because January 6th has shaped the entire political narrative and landscape. And, you know, it's, it's led to the expansion of the Capitol Police, their budgets, having offices in other cities beyond Washington, D.C. It's, uh, led to the Department of Homeland Security um, changing their definitions about who are domestic terrorists, um, escalating certain types of individuals with certain political beliefs, uh, higher on that said watch list. Um, and so, you know, I think that the battle for January 6th truth is still very important because um, we are going to continue to see the uh, that narrative used to persecute and imprison people who simply choose not to buy into the Biden regime, the establishment, uh, the, if it's the Republican establishment that takes over, you know, they're going to use those same tactics in order to try to, uh, you know, mess us up as well. So, you know, I'm trying to keep myself and other friends of mine and people who believe what I believe out of prison, uh, uh, by exposing this truth. And so anyway, even though I'm tired of, of the Jan 6 story, frankly, uh, I, it's like uh, that line in The Godfather. Every time I, I get out, they pull me back in. I don't even know if that's for The Godfather, but it sounds like it is. So, Well, it's beneficial yeah. for, for us to get tired of some of this stuff because they, we want people to get tired of, of these massive injustices and just accept these things as, as the new norms. And yeah. you, know, you and I are both old enough to have seen a few generations of changes here. And I think we're, we were both alive before 9-11. We both know how different air travel is. And people growing up now just have no idea. I mean, I used to look forward going to going to the airport. I used to really enjoy the, the experience. And it's only gotten worse and worse and worse, all due to the increased security state uh, since 9-11. But now it's just normal because there just wasn't enough resistance to it. And it's not even a thing now. Even Even I, frankly, just kind of Accept it at this point because I've been I've been doing it for twenty years myself. So at some point, even when you're you're maybe morally or ethically opposed to something, when you live in in this in a society, when you're dealing with the system, things do become normalized when they're allowed to be. And if it and if what's becoming normalized um, surrounding, I'm not even talking about the event of J six. For forget that for a minute. Although that's very important, and the debate around what happened inside is is one thing. But the implications even broader than that of anyone questioning the election. That that's really what this seems to be about at the end of the day. It's not about this particular event. It's about using the narrative around this event to, to stymie and to get ahead of what I can only presume they believe will be future questioning of elections, perhaps in an even more extreme way. Today's episode is sponsored by Fox and Sons Coffee. And let me just tell you, Stephen of Fox and Sons, he is not just an advertiser. He has been a supporter of this show from day one. And frankly, since before day one, because he came over with me from the old Lions and Liberty days. So true fan of the show. He started this company, Fox and Sons, 
out of his love for coffee and really out of wanting to further bond with his sons and spend time with him, just like he shared time with his father drinking coffee. Uh, he also gets to teach his sons about entrepreneurship and business through this endeavor. So I'm so happy to have Stephen and really his whole family, the Fox and the Sons, the whole gang as a supporters and sponsors of this show. Not only that, his beans are so high quality, fresh. Look, I just got two new bags right here. I got the Mexican and my favorite, the Den Blend Dark. The beans are super high quality, fresh and sourced from small organic farms. Fair trade. None of this GMO garbage. They're all small batch roasted. This is high quality stuff. Subscriptions are by far the best way to get your coffee. I have a couple subscriptions going, uh, but that is the way to go. You never run out that way. I never run out. I always have my supply of Fox and Sons. So I want you to head over to foxandsons.com. Put in your order today. They ship fast. They ship now through the end of February. Also, by the way, you're going to get free shipping on any order over $37.99. By the way, while you're there, use discount code MCS to get 18% off any order over $25. Stephen Fox is a great man, a great friend, great supporter of the show. I encourage you to check out his coffee over at foxandsons.com. Yeah, I mean, you're 100% correct. And, you know, the, the other thing too is that January 6th and the questioning of the election, those are the twin issues that are being used to now try to sideline and prevent Donald Trump from being able to be on the ballot, you know, to 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 having even the opportunity to become president again, right? And it and that's not about Trump necessarily, right? I mean, you know, it's it's just about what that precedent is about anybody who has this opinion that maybe the elections aren't legit. Uh, those people are not going to be able to run for office. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's like, oh, wow, imagine that. Could you imagine uh, a, a government populated entirely by people who think that the elections are completely above board and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them? Like, it, it is, it's the, it's the criminalization of dissent in, in many ways. It's the dissent that, I, I think it's a signal that it's the kind of dissent dissent that is most dangerous to the establishment, right? Um, we've got to, people, they need the, the people to exist under this, you know, false idea, like um, that, you know, the, the myth of democracy, the religion of voting, all of that, that it's like, you know, um, you know, it's, it, it's like, uh, it is, it's like a religious uh, sacrament. And it's like, this is holy, this is pure, um, this is the one thing we can count on. And it's also why I think people often won't go there because if you go there, you're going to go through the stages of grief as an individual about what you believed about government, democracy, freedom, like free will, choice, the ability to solve our problems in you a peaceful way. You may become what some call blackpilled. Warning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it's not a fun journey. It's more fun. It's more fun. Um, it's more peaceful in the, in the ignorance is bliss sort of way, uh, to just say, no, you know what, this is it. You know, if I had to go to the ballot box every year and I check my box and I put my thing in, I've done my duty and whatever the outcome is, well, you know what, better luck next time. And, um, you know, I think we're getting to a point where it's, it's hard to argue that we are going to be able to vote our way out of some of the troubles that we have going on right now. I think I think one thing that all of this is doing, at least for a large segment of the population, and maybe maybe this is a good thing in some way, that I think it's it's showing a lot of people that maybe they were against a lot of the laws or a certain politician or Biden or Obama or whoever it may be, but a lot of those people may have still overall bought into the idea of the system. They may have overall bought into the idea that we write a bill on Capitol Hill and we sing a song about it. And, you know, we, if we don't, if it didn't work out, we try again and, and vote our guys in in a couple of years and we go and argue about it at dinner maybe. And we move on with our lives. Uh, and I think a lot of people are, are now running into this wall where they realize, hold on, we, at least we believe we did everything right. We went out there and we got the most votes. We're quite certain of it. In fact, we see a lot of weird stuff here. In fact, there was an article where they pretty much admitted to all the things that we suspect in Time <laughs> right. fucking magazine. So right. maybe we can talk about this at least. And now even talking about it is being criminalized. 
Yeah, talk about it. Talking Which we're about doing it. right now, you could even say, but what? It, it is possible that we're doing that right now. I mean, just for the record, we're just talking Joe, about people talking about it. You see, you yes. got to be two steps removed. Some people say, yeah, some people say, look, Joe Biden's the duly elected president of the United States. Totally got eighty-one million votes. We all agree about about that. We do. We, we all agree that's the official. Um, yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> we agree that to be the story. Yeah, but you know, it, it, it's interesting too because um, you know I know that. Um, that guy in uh, Argentina just won the election yesterday, right? Um, the 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 guy who's like the more you know based, uh, uh, you know, who knows if he's an anarcho-capitalist libertarian or whether he's some, he's like Ron Paul if he did a lot of psychedelics when he was young. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's sort of interesting about that situation is it's like you've got a country that was further down the road in some ways in like. Um, you know, socialism and, and society falling apart or whatever. And the appeal of a candidate who's like publicly going out there and call, saying leftists are shit. And like, you know, he's, he's very bombastic. He seems very radical in some ways. He's very outspoken. You know, it's interesting to look at that outcome and say, you know, and who knows what's going to happen, but to recognize that in the United States, they're trying to put things in place so that a guy like that could never get elected in the United States if the United States gets as bad as things were in Argentina, right? That's actually what they're trying to do. They're trying to make sure that like, if things get as bad as, as they have gotten in a place like Argentina, that our choices are between Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Our choices are between you know, Mitt Romney and whoever they've got, you know, Gavin Newsom, whatever, all of these, like, and, and it goes, you know, I love, you know, Tom Woods talks about the three by five index card of, a, of allowable opinion and discussion. Like, that's what it is. It's like, they want to create this very, very small window of what is possible and what's approved. And that's your arena of choice. And so if they can make sure that somebody radical and a radical populist messenger who is able to somehow, you know, get into that that box or that window, it, it, it could all be over for them. And so, once when Donald Trump became president in 2016, and you know, to this day, I'm still convinced that he didn't think he was going to win, wasn't expecting to win. He was just trying to build his brand and and found his way into the presidency. You know, they want to make sure that a black swan event like that can never happen again. And I think they've largely, you know, put the machinery in place to make sure that that can't happen again. Right. I guess the question is how, how obvious does that machinery in place make the, you know, the lack of integrity in the system, make that so much more apparent to a large enough percentage of the population that dot, 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 who knows what, because if they're locking the elections down in every way, uh, so it can't be a populist revolution. Like you might see whatever Malay turns to be, I think it is a signification of something in the population there. And I mean, I, I spent about a month in Argentina, uh, I want to say about 10 years ago. And if, if you think inflation has been bad in the U S the last couple of years, cause our groceries are more, a little bit more a, a decent amount more, and it's been bad. Don't get me wrong. Child's play, total child's play to what goes on in Argentina. In Argentina, I mean, dollars are gold there and still would be gold there, I'm sure, today, uh, because the the peso will just do this and this and this in a day. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, it, it's just crazy there, absolutely crazy. And I'm sure this is a reaction to not just how it was then, but how it's gotten worse since then, to decades and decades of Peronism in Argentina before that. Uh, yep. So at some point, when you push things far enough, and I don't really believe in, in true populism, but at some point, there's a reality that if you do make it that obvious that you're just destroying the economy, that you're just that, that the government is that much against the people, that it's gone that, that far beyond the normal political conversation and, and it's just doing nothing more than destroying lives. Yeah, at some point, something has to give. And governments at that point have a couple, a couple solutions. They can try to propagandize over it, paper over it or and whatnot, or they can start to use the hammer and start to really come down. And it seems they're, they're sort of doing that, at least with the January 6th stuff, at least with at least trying to make an example out of a number of people. Yeah. And I think it's important to recognize that, um, you know, I think we've seen some trial balloons and precursors of what the future holds for us in this domain, because, um, you know, if they've, if they've essentially outlawed 
you know, protest. Okay. Uh, or there's a, an allowable way to do it, right? There's the politically allowed way to protest. Um, and they, they've got that. And then they've already, um, shown us that they have the ability to lock us down in, uh, a certain capacity in the United States, given the pandemic, right? Um, you know, that's what they use to do that. I, I don't think it's hard to see that those forces could come together and be utilized in, you know, for other purposes, right? Um, to make sure that we can't protest, to make sure that we can't leave our homes, all of those types of things. And then the other thing is I think about um, the different ways that I see on the horizon that they may use to eliminate Trump from the equation in this election. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen if he's going to be, be convicted or thrown in jail or whatever. But I think the more likely path is that Trump actually does win the primary because I think it's very risky for them to literally take him off the ballot. Like, I, I think they recognize that to do that by throwing him in jail or by this other legal lawfare, right, that there's potential revolution. Like, there's a lot of upset people with that. Um, but what I, what I think may happen is that Trump may actually win the primary. Um, if, if it's possible, if it's legitimate, or if he just, you know, it wins big enough that they cannot hide it and that the RNC is going to do the dirty work of denying him, uh, the, the nomination at the convention, um, that, that the establishment of the RNC is going to actually do the work to prevent Trump from being on the presidential ballot. And I, you know, I just think that's potentially what's going to happen. But what, what I'm saying- they have the playbook. It would take a lot yeah. more this time, but they have the playbook. Why? Because they did this with Ron Paul in 2012. Not that Ron Paul had the delegates to win. He didn't yep. at, at the convention, but he had enough to be on stage. He had enough, enough to cause a ruckus. And there was a lot of shuffling done to, to put a stop to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe uh, the same is true for like Bernie Sanders mm -hmm. um, in 2016. And so, you know, they have a lot of tricks up their sleeve. And again, I think we've got to recognize that the most important thing for them is to eliminate real choice from us and give us this like faux choice that then, uh, you know, we participate in the faux choice. And if it doesn't go our way, you know, well, try again next time. But it's like, no, no, no the choices were eliminated way, way upstream for us. And so, yeah, so, um, I'm, I'm optimistic about certain things. Like I do think, um, you know, we're at a cultural time where there's a lot of, a lot of things happening. Um, and I, I think that the, the establishment, um, and the globalists have like, oh, overplayed their hand over the last several years. Um, I think we're seeing interesting things happening in the middle East and, um, like, how the left and the right and the Democrats and the Republicans are like navigating. I things. mean, a, a couple of years ago, we were supposed to have a vaccine to have any job, including if you worked for a small business, if, if they actually put through everything they wanted to put through. And the fact that we're not there does say something. I have to, I have to. Think. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and, you know, I think there's a significant number of people, even in the Republican party and on the right, who one of their biggest complaints about Trump is that he was terrible on the vaccine and lockdown issue or, you know, and, and some of that's freaking hindsight. You know, a lot of people uh, participated in it until they realized what was happening. But well, what's scary is Trump has been terrible in hindsight. He still says, yeah, he, was a great, he, still says he was the best for it because he just can't say something that he touted and did was anything but excellent. It's just, yeah, he just can't do it. You know, he's like the he father trying to say, I love you. It's just not possible. Yeah. He can't, he can't admit to being wrong ever. Right. Like his, his greatest character flaw. And so, I mean, he's got a lot of character flaws. It's probably his greatest. And, um, so yeah, you know, um, I, but I do think there's, uh, a, a reason to be optimistic about, certain things that are happening in the culture and uh, a certain sentiment that is rising up within people. However, it's happening at the same time that it's very obvious that you need to watch your step in that to have politically, um, you know, dangerous speech to, um, you know, do anything to, uh, you know, publicly protest or, you know, try to get your voice heard, um, in a way that it is against the establishment. Um, if you've got any significant platform, 
um, you know, I, I, I think you're in danger. And I think also we haven't gotten on the other side of cancel culture. You know, you're still at risk of losing your job or employment for saying the wrong thing on Twitter. And so, you know, that, that's, um, I think it's almost like we've got to thread a needle, you know, it's like, I, I think it's a very precarious time. Um, it's dangerous. There's some things that I'm optimistic about, something very pessimistic about. And I think we're heading headlong into what could be the most like politically explosive year in my lifetime. And I just turned 49. So that's an almost a half a century. Well, that's why I like to keep this platform as, as insignificant as possible. So I can just, <laughs> just say just enough under, under the radar uh, when everything goes down. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier the, sort of the, the faux choice and even re- mentioning Ron DeSantis uh, in, in that breath. And it's interesting because, I mean, at this point, I think like a dream matchup, assuming if it wasn't going to be Biden, which it seems like it will be, but who really knows, uh, it would be like a Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis. That's like a very classic. All the Democrats are going to go here. All the Republicans are going to go here. It's just what we want. Neither is going to shake up the tree too much, which is interesting in so many ways because, I mean, look, I'm here in Florida. I think what Ron DeSantis did uh, after the first month or so of things or three weeks or whatever it was, was heroic, really, in, in many ways. Whether he did it out of self-interest or pol- political, whatever it may be, machinations, I don't really care. Uh, it, it, it dramatically improved people's lives over the last several years, and there's just no question about that. But the most interesting thing about that is this, well, first of all, it never comes up in his current campaign. You know, you, you almost, I think a lot of people thought this is going to be the Ron DeSantis, look what I did over the last two years campaign. It's not. It's been Ron DeSantis, look what a normal, boring Republican I am campaign. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> yeah. and, he, and it's just basically, you know, I really hope Trump goes to jail because that's the only way I have a shot here. Uh, and it's, it's really something to see because before the COVID stuff was even, I mean, you get banned for saying anything or whatever. Now it kind of is, it has been normalized as part of the acceptable political dialogue to, to have that sort of argument. But even within that, his campaign completely stays away from it. So I think that whole thing is really interesting. I I wish Ron DeSantis, the presidential candidate didn't even exist uh, personally speaking, Uh, but it'll be interesting to see where all this goes. Now, do you, what do you, this is obviously the realm of speculation, but do you think that, that Trump, if convicted of something, will I, I, I? And frankly, the fact that I, I'm even asking this as I ask it, I just think, of course he will. Uh, but would, would he continue to run for president even if he were, say, put physically put in behind bars? Yeah, I mean, I would hope he would because it seems you know, like the most Trump thing to do, doesn't it? Yeah, and like honestly, you know, uh, some people really don't understand. I mean, to anybody who follows me or or comes across me they don't actually really understand my position around Trump. Like, like I, him being in prison or convicted only makes me want to vote for him more. And it's not because I think Trump's the greatest guy or has the greatest policies in the world. It's because it's actually an indicator to me that he's like the most dangerous to my sworn enemies. Like, that's really the calculus for me. Like, I don't think Ron DeSantis is dangerous at all to my sworn enemies. And my sworn enemies are those people who wanted to throw me into jail um, because I filmed uh, at, on January 6th, you know, that, 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 that have come after me or would empower the IRS to come after me and audit me because of January 6th. You know, like the, my sworn enemies are any, any, as all the people, the bureaucrats, the elected and unelected people that make up all of those organizations that would come after a person like me or come after people like me. And, and so it's like the enemies of freedom, right? And I'm not saying that, that Trump is like the champion of freedom, but it's like, he's the guy they all fear and hate the most. Like, I know there's a narrative out there that some are spinning that it's like, oh no, this is just a big scam. The Democrats want Trump because he's, going to be the easiest for them to beat. And I'm like, I think that's absolute total bullshit. I think they're, I think Trump is more popular now than he was in 2020. And he was more popular in 2020 than 2016. Even if he, you still believe he lost because he got 12 million more votes. Even by the numbers, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. He got 12 million more votes. He's like the most successful incumbent, you know, uh, president. And so it's like, um, I, 
the more trouble he gets in, the more apt I am to vote for him. You can't take him away. Uh, hypothetically speaking, this is like our version of the New York Times article. You know, yeah. uh, there are some who might say, uh, you can't really remove, you can only really add, which would explain a lot of interesting math. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. So, um, but you know, I, I think that um, he he should and will continue to, like, I think the the thing about Trump and and the reason I would like to give him another opportunity, right, to a, a do-over presidency, because I think his first presidency, like, he didn't actually get a chance to be president, like, um, because he was plagued with all of the, like, the media and Russia, the made-up stuff that they went after him for. And then, look, we could really go down the rabbit hole on COVID, but it's like the the whole COVID thing happened, it came at a time when all they had to do was handicap the economy, and that was what was going to derail Trump's election, re-election. And lo and behold, what did they get? You know, they got COVID. And we'll, oh, lo and behold, what happened? The economy was destroyed, right? Just coincidentally, right? And so, and I don't even really fault Trump for some of the things that he did in the midst of COVID because I think that the he was in a no-win situation. Like they were already laying every COVID death that occurred. Like the counter on CNN might as well have said people died because of Trump. You know what I mean? Trump it was slaughters like, millions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like there was no way for him to navigate that in the world of media and political savvy that that would have worked. If he would have gone uh, against the uh, COVID vaccine or not been for it, I'm not even saying he wasn't his heart, but I'm like, could you imagine what that would have looked like in the media 24-7? Like he would have literally become Hitler because he would have been responsible for millions of death, uh, deaths, and that's how it would have been painted. And so I, I want to see Trump get a do-over. He should have gotten a do-over when he, in 2020. He didn't. But I think that it's likely that the, the establishment coming after him the way they have over the last four years, I think that has had to have given him a new clarity and fire um, to do some damage. And I think the evidence of this is him posting his mugshot on Twitter. Like, so I'm willing to give him another opportunity to go and do something. And I don't see any other alternative, um, you know, that a, a true anti-establishment candidate other than possibly uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. We don't have to talk about this, but, you know, I, I do think that um, ideologically, like, I'm actually most aligned with Vivek. Like, he's the guy who says the things that I actually align with the most politically, um, it, even more than Trump. And so... Um, but I, you know, I don't think that that's even a possibility that Vivek's going to be there. We're going to get he Nikki seems Haley. To almost be the, the Trump surrogate in some way, maybe not officially, but he seems to be playing that role in the sense that he is the anti-establishment one within that group. He's the one that goes after the commentators. He's the one that's, I guess, acting the most Trumpian. Do you think that is a uh, by design on his part? Yeah. Well, I think there's two ways this could go. You know, if they remove Trump, the, the problem that DeSantis has, and you can see this, if you follow is that, any is that forced smile. I'll yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. And his three inch lifts in his boots, but he, you know, a lot of DeSantis supporters hate Ramaswamy. Hmm. And I think the reason they hate Ramaswamy is because they recognize that actually Vivek is Maga's second choice. <laughs> yeah. Most people, if Trump got taken out of it, would actually that are MAGA or that support Trump, they're more likely to actually support Vivek than DeSantis. DeSantis has been like such a letdown for so many, many people who had high hopes for him. And so, you know, I think Vivek is there as a potential guy to capture MAGA. Um, should Trump be, you know, removed in some capacity, um, that would be up to the primaries, right? Or through the primaries. Um, and then I think Vivek is absolutely positioned for a cabinet position, uh, potentially VP or just somewhere in the cabinet of Trump. Um, and, Frankly, I mean, I think as as a young torchbearer for like America first ideas in the Republican Party, I know I'm making a very like 
specific claim here. <laughs> a younger torchbearer of American, uh, first, American First Ideas in the Republican Party, I think Vivek is absolutely the best person to be that. And for that, I think it's really, really good that he's around, you know? Um, and so I, I, that's what I see the play is there. I definitely think the establishment now, once Nikki Haley as the Republican nominee, I do not know how they pull that off. Uh, they're going to have to get rid of DeSantis and Trump, but you know, uh, that's, uh, you know, it's could happen. (laughs) They've tried crazier, crazier things, I suppose. Um, Jason, I want to circle back to talk a little bit more about the documentary before we wrap up. Uh, so when you're going through this footage yourself, or I'm sure you have a team of people, I'm sure it's not just you, uh, you'd probably still be working on it if it was just you, but through this process, is there anything that you came and I don't want you to spoil the whole documentary. I want you to save some stuff for, for the, for the, uh, for the actual release. But is there anything that you came across that maybe not dramatically altered your view of the day, but that really, you know, set off a light bulb in your head or, or let you know, Oh my, okay. There's, there's actually something here that changes the narrative in at least a, a semi-significant way. Yeah. I mean, there's some interesting things that, um, have come, have come up. So like one, um, interesting thing that, um, you know, the guy in DC who basically was running the FBI's like whole January 6th investigation after this is a guy named Michael Sherwin. And, um, you know, he, he has been sort of the face of it. And, um, you know, he, he knew that he was warned or received Intel that there may be trouble happening on January 6th. Um, we definitely know that people within DC um, knew that there was going to be hundreds of thousands of people coming, you know, because I was embedded with the stop the steal team, Ali Alexander, all of these people, um, for the eight weeks prior to that happening. And, you know, I know that they went and got permits for these events and like, uh, you know, you know what Trump was planning and all this stuff. Like it's, it's not like the government didn't know hundreds of thousands of people were coming. Okay. So they knew that that was going to happen. And then they'd also received intel, you know, that there, that there may be a uh, reason to be on high alert. Let's put it that way. Um, and yet we, I've seen footage of Michael Sherwin, like this guy's like, you know, uh, with the FBI, he's like in plain clothes with a mask on, like strolling the street the, the morning of Jan 6. Like, it's just interesting. It's like, oh, uh, that's, that's what's going on. And it's like, to me, that would indicate that it just indicate, it's just interesting that this guy is actually rolling in civilian clothes on the streets the morning of January 6th. Um, he passes some interesting characters. He, he, he's in the proximity of a guy named Ryan Samsel, who is one of the guys who um, knocks down that fence, the first breach of the Capitol. You know, it's just interesting. Um, Another thing that was interesting is we got to really understand some things that developed from the Capitol Police side. For example, um, the Capitol Police, there was an internal argument going on whether or not they should use tear gas on the crowd. And there there were... Capitol police officers who wanted the clearance and authority to shoot tear gas in to disperse. And there were other people who were concerned because of the conditions of the day that the tear gas was actually going to blow back on the cops. And it's interesting because that's exactly what happened. They launched tear gas into the crowd and obviously Cue the some Benny Hill music. <laughs> yeah, totally dude. And, and really right before the major, uh, the the largest number of people make their way through the last like line of resistance of the Capitol Police, the Capitol Police actually clear themselves off of this entire area. I think it's like 12 to 15 Capitol Police officers have to leave because they ended up tear gassing themselves. And so it's just interesting because if they hadn't have done that, it's possible that this um, sort of line of defense never would have been broken, but they ended up tear gassing themselves at a very critical moment 
in like the, they took their own, the they ended up taking out their own defensive system that might have not have even been a, that much of an issue. Yeah, they all had to leave. Like they all had to get off of that area, and it cleared the way for people, you know, protesters to end up just getting through. And so, um, it, we, you know, I've seen footage of of Capitol police officers also and other law enforcement types, um, you know, using expletives and saying like things like. Uh, they didn't prepare us for this or this is a fucking shit show type stuff around uh, talking about sort of the leadership and higher ups, right. In, in that they were not given the resources they needed to engage in this kind of thing. Um, sort of uh, wondering out loud around potential intelligence failures uh, going on that day. So it's just, it's like, uh, I, I will say that, you know, um, it's intelligence it's, failure is an interesting term that, tends to pop up, uh, let's just say under certain types of events. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, there are definitely people in, in law enforcement, you know, like I'm, I'm no friend of the cops, you know, I don't, I don't love, I don't love the blue. Right. But you know, there are a lot of people who were involved in law enforcement that day who are just doing their jobs. Right. Like they don't, you know, they're told to go do a thing and they go to do a thing and, you know, I think some of them realized that either protocols hadn't been followed or that preparations were not in place that normally would have been or should have been in this particular situation. Um, and so, you know, I think there's been some insights into that. And then, um, you know, there's just some things that the timeline of events matters when it comes to um, them trying to pin some things on Trump as well. Um, you know, when Trump got done giving his speech versus what was happening, um, you know, we definitely, I shared a trailer on my Twitter, um, today at the Jason rank and, you know, there's footage of one guy tearing down this entire, it was like sort of a netting fence that was, you know, there was, there was this whole area that was marked off limits with like posts and then sort of this like fence. Okay. And those fences had signs on it that said, don't enter. Well, there's a guy who takes that fence and rips it completely down so that those signs are not there. So that everybody who comes up there after that moment has no idea that they're actually crossing into a no-go zone. Well, that- you You have the footage of that guy tearing that stuff down? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, in the trailer even. Um, I'm not sure who that guy is, but what's interesting is that, you know, that imaginary line that was set, you know, that was torn down, crossing that line is what has landed a lot of people in jail. Like people crossing a line they had no idea existed and they're being thrown in jail for that. And so, you know, but who is that guy? And that was able to just tear that whole fence down right in the middle of the day. And, um, you know, so, so yeah, but I think the most important thing about the project is it gives context to the day and it shows the order of events happening in multiple places and certain events that occur (coughs) differently than people have been led to believe. One of the things that the January 6th committee did really well was mix up, and they actually changed time codes on some footage when they showed it, but they actually changed time codes when they displayed <laughs> it. Yeah. Yeah. There was, um, some, um, alterations of some of the footage that they showed during there that was made to indicate or make it unclear as to what time of day or what order certain events happened. Right. What we've done is we've cleared up some of that stuff and I actually think it does matter. So, um, so that's what, what I have people watch it for is to understand how things really unfolded. And because so many people weren't there that day who are in America, but, but a lot of people have watched, you know, feel like they saw what happened. What they've seen is a very curated narrative. And um, what, what this documentary won't do is be like, now you know who was behind the wizard behind the curtain. Cue scary music. Yeah. Uh, but what I think it will do is it will get people to uh, reconsider, even people who've been skeptical of the official narrative, it will get people to reconsider other elements of it 
um, as well. And uh, people who have not been skeptical of the official narrative, we've tried to produce this in such a way that it's not full of editorialization, that we've kept the footage to say what the footage is, that, you know, use the words to say what the words say, um, tried to fill in pieces where we need to. Uh, we've tried to keep it as factual as possible. And up to now, nobody's done that. Up to now, we've gotten HBO's documentary and Nancy Pelosi's daughter's documentary. And, you know, we got mine about Jacob Chansley, but it's just really about one guy's journey into the Capitol. This is a more comprehensive view into that day. Uh, we'll clock in at about an hour. So um, it covers, you know, more than that in amount of time. Uh, so it's not exhaustive in that it's told in real time, but it is told sequentially and it highlights certain things that we think it's significant for the American people to understand. Do you think there's anything in this footage or in this documentary that may actually help some of the legal cases of people that are either currently in trial or I assume anyone in jail is going to be, you know, appealing this to, to the cows come home? Well, potentially. Um, and I will say um, there is some discussion <laughs> uh, of of releasing a massive footage dump to the public um, on or around the time that we release this documentary, um, which I think would would do something to help that. There's been some concern. Yeah, because, because then any legal team can just go dig away and do, yeah, and do their thing. Yeah, because what, what people need to understand is, is the way this has gone down so far, you know, is uh, people have had to navigate um, uh, you've had to get authorization and then sign a document to look at the footage that the government has. And if you were to release any of that, you could be thrown in prison by the Department of Justice. Okay. So it's totally, totally on lockdown. And if you're a defendant, you and your attorney and, and some investigators have access to it, but they can't publish it. Well, <clears throat> what we've done is we've accumulated and amassed the largest amount of footage. I mean, it, I don't know how many hours it is, but if the government's only going to give us 12 hours of the footage and they're not going to release the rest, we're going to release a larger trove of that footage. Some of it is from the government. Some of it is from people, but we're hoping that that I'm talking about a, a footage dump that we do along with the documentary, um, because I actually think people would be pretty excited about that if they could actually go and start looking at that footage. And so far, all of this footage has been within a team of people that we've amassed it. And we know we've got the biggest trove of footage that's publicly, oh, that's privately held right now. What the risk has been in the past is that not wanting to create, produce evidence that will get more people arrested, right? The thing is, is that the government's going to keep arresting people and they already have access to all the footage. And so we think that any risk to currently non-indicted, non-arrested J6ers is really minimal compared to the good that can be achieved of having the more explosive, the other things that might change the narrative or correct injustice that's already happened by producing additional footage of, of people who've been thrown in jail that could exonerate them or something like that. So so yeah, that's also, I didn't really break that as an exclusive in that we haven't decided when we're going to do that footage dump, but we do anticipate we're going to do one. And um, I think that'll be pretty interesting as well. So yeah, right, Jason. Well, uh, one last thing before I let you go and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into the smoke filled room and we'll get a little weird. Why don't we, yeah, let's uh, do but, it. uh, feel free to give anybody all the ways that can uh, find you. Of course, you're trying to build that X account. You definitely want to follow at, was it the Jason rink, the Jason oh, rink. Cause you got to see that Kanye video. I'm good. I'm excited about the Kanye video, but I already oh, follow yeah. you. So I can't help there. Yeah. But, the, uh, Kanye, but, the Kanye video is coming out first. So that's what you want to follow right now for that thing is going to be lit. That, that, that might break the internet more than the J six doc. Come for Kanye. That's, stay for J six. True. That's right? right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. X is really the place I'm at. It's the place I interact. It's where I'm trying to build my audience and I'm trying to connect with like-minded people. Um, so you can find me there. Um, and that's where I'll be releasing, um, all the information on the upcoming episode of Q sent me on uh, J six, the true timeline and the Kanye video. So that's it, man. One place. And 
I've been I've been reinstated for about six months there now. I don't think they're getting rid run. of me. That's yeah, a it good is. Run. It's my longest yet. So. All right. Well, we'll see if you can at least get me a YouTube strike. We're gonna see. We're gonna try because this because <laughs> this is my test. If this episode doesn't get me one, I think I'm good for a little while. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Like I said, just insignificant enough. Jason, thank you so much for coming on my show. I'll see you in the smoke filled room. All right. Sounds good. All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jason Rink. Check out all of his documentary work. He's working on a lot of really important stuff. You can find it all at jasonrink.com. He's a simple man. He makes it easy for you. Just head over to jasonrink.com for links to all his work. A man of my heart, because you can also head over to markclair.com. It's the easiest way to find all the links you need for this show, all the various video platforms I'm on, all of the ways you can support the show and become a Mark Claire Show premium member, which you can do on Patreon. Subscribe star, you can become a member on YouTube now or on Rockfin, where you get access to a whole bunch of different creators as well. I let you pick your poison, do it however you like, but either way, you got to do it. You got to support the show because if you're not, you're missing out on 30% of this program. That's right. Every episode is a 90 minute conversation. You only get about an hour of it here on the public show. We did another 30 minutes of the smoke-filled room with Jason Rink, where we talked a little bit about his history, his own religious background, and his history with dispensationalism. Not only was he a uh, is he an expert, I guess you could say, he was an all-the-ground expert because he used to be quite an advocate. In fact, he was, well, look, I'm not going to give the whole thing away. I'm going to let you go listen to it. So head over to markclair.com, M-A-R-C-C-L-A-I-R.com, for all the ways you can support this program, becoming Mark Claire Show premium listener. There's just no better way to be, my friends. Until next week, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>